We gonna drop this next bomb for a money-making player that ain't with us no more. Yeah, Notorious B.I.G. Hell no! We gonna do this for a gang-banging thug that never seen it coming. Yeah, Tupac Shakur. Nah, bitch! I'm talking about motherfucking TC and Jake. And shit. Welcome in, folks. Jake Kemp, as you may be aware, is in uh, Oxnard, California. Although I guess they mentioned it often enough, but I was uh, I was uh, shocked and saddened to learn that uh, they stay so far from Cowboys Camp. Like, I, so I don't think that they stay in Oxnard. It's like half hour away, which I understand. Ventura. Yeah, well, I, I I don't know if they stay in Ventura or whatever, but I don't think Oxnard's a big place. Am I right about that? It's not very big. I've only been there once. Was it to go to Cowboys Camp? It was to go to the home of. DW Drums Drum Workshop. Oh, wow. They're based in Oxnard. They're based in Oxnard. I don't know if they still are, but it was on a family vacation. I just wanted to get a picture of the outside of the building. <laughs> wow. Okay. And I did. And then and then went on to live in Los Angeles for several years and never wanted to go back to the home of Drum Workshop? No, not so much a DW guy. Their pedal broke on me, so I abandoned Jump mm. Ship. You're either a DW guy or you're not, especially when it comes to kick pedals. Uh, but yeah, we got uh, Jordan Richardson here. Um, I, I have made some attempts to uh, schedule a second one, but I don't. I don't have anything lined up at this time for sure. So uh, you know, up in the air whether or not we will have uh, two podcasts this week. But we certainly have one. It's this one, and uh, I thank you for being here, George. Thanks for having me, as always. Um, two my, weeks in a row. Absolutely. Uh, my big uh, make the family go to a thing is uh, we took a family trip to Hawaii. And uh, at that time, uh, Square, the video game maker, had three offices and incredible. one of them was in Honolulu. Yeah. And uh, Final Fantasy VII was rocking at this time. And so I, they, they, were, they were on board. Like They were like, yeah, we can do that. Like, just go down there. And so we just went down there like... Uh, there was a guy wearing a shirt, like getting on the elevator, and my parents were like, "My son likes this very much." He's like, "Oh yeah, come up!" Incredible. And like show, like just kind of like walking by billboards of like conceptual drawings of like Final Fantasy VIII. Wow. Yeah, I I just saw the exterior of the business park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. felt like I was too bashful to make an entrance. But I mean, that's I quite don't think nice I would have inclined could... to. But yeah, the the folks were like, let's. That's like a classic tale of how you get a job. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like was an employment age, but yeah, yeah. Well, now it just sounds like a movie. Yeah, a a movie from the early nineties. Yesterday, it was referenced in the conversation I I had personally. J. Cole uh, giving just waiting outside the Rockefeller offices. I don't know that story, but well, according to someone I talked to yesterday, really, it happened. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when setting this up, I don't know if you have any other band. Oh, we definitely want to talk about the Garth show before Let's talk we get about into the Garth. main topic. Where we could make Garth the main topic. I don't know how much you have on it. Let's twist around. We, I've just got all these ideas running through my head about Garth Brooks, but I always do. Yeah, since yeah. About, since Something about, new there. Yeah, since about 1991. They've always been there. Yeah, you, uh, you played at AT and T. Uh, we both went. You know, I was, I was, we were two different groups actually. I was, I was in a, in a different group, but uh, you know, 
a short distance part. What, 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 what were your reactions? My reactions were similar to what they always are. Well, I'd never been to AT&T Stadium in my entire life. It was the, the first time what? I've ever stepped in the building. I threw, I've never been to a Cowboys game. I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, I thought I would have been there for concerts or perhaps a TCU game along the way. Yeah, I've been to a TCU game there. Yeah, well, you and I you didn't had, go you to had, TCU. You had my ticket. So yeah, you went with my family. It was no, kind of weird. No, I did not. Uh, I just know scheduling wise, I feel like it was right in the height of a, when TCU was playing at AT and T Stadium a lot. It was right in the height of me being gone all the time and touring a lot. And uh, I've I just never made it. And I feel like you know. They've fallen off a bit, so there hasn't been a lot of opportunity. Uh, I neglected to see U2 and Metallica there, which were the two big things I was trying to see, but something something suddenly came up mm. in both of those cases. So I, I, spent, I spent the beginning of the uh, afternoon, late afternoon, just sort of in awe of looking at the building, really ready to uh, – I approached it with an open mind, having heard that it's it's not a good place to X, Y, or Z, see a show, to watch a game, any number of things. It's a it's a great place to just walk into and experience for the first time. I'm blown away. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 like now that you say it, I recall that you've told me this and I didn't believe it then. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, dude. I. I'm not even sure. I don't know what the public perception of it is uh, because like, you know, I worked at the ticket. I know what the ticket's perception of it is. And I think that that does inform people's perceptions of it sure. a lot. But like the I ticket listening like audience is like, I don't know, what, 10% of the people in DFW it, yeah, at most? Absolutely. Uh, so like, and probably less than that. So like, you know, it's uh, figuring that they're influencing what 50% of the people think is insane. Um, and so I, I don't know what 50% of the people think of it. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me if like they, it's not the kind of thing they would ever opinion poll, uh, you know, like, do you like AT&T stadium? <laughs> but I, I bet if you could have that kind of like, this is what the, the average resident or the average Cowboys fan actually thinks. I bet that Cowboys fans do like, despite what all of the media will tell you, I bet that they are just like, yeah, I love it. It's I'm cool. sure they like it just fine. And, and, and I, I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's fucking awesome. I think it's <clears throat> asinine that uh, we have this beautiful, like state of the art, uh, the thing that everyone else has so clearly copied, like every single fucking NFL field that's been built since then is quite obviously like just, this is the mold they made, uh, you know, like, because it's all one architecture firm that does all this stuff. It's like Populous or HKS. Yeah, I think H. I think Populous is like HKS, a sports division, something like that. Um, <coughs> Henry, stop. <coughs> Chill. <coughs> hey, <coughs> get out of here. Get out. That's uh, the thing that does these back to back. You can't leave, Henry. He fucking hates AT&T Stadium. Yeah, just there's a guy here, and I wish that they'd go away. It's not their house. It's my house that they're pointing at the yard of, so I don't know what's going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I one of the – I would say possibly the coolest thing that I ever did when I was a bad radio intern is when the stadium was maybe half done – they like all of the shows got to do a show from there, like just from the parking lot and uh, got a tour from like the people building it. 
like the the project manager is going around and being like this is yeah that's incredible yeah because you don't want to uh experience something like it's a magnificent building uh and like everything he's saying you know of like you know like he's like you know you see that crane that's in the middle of this building like the top of and like it's a big crane but it's like you know halfway up and he's like the top of that crane's where the top of uh texas stadium is you know, and then like you just seeing all past that and everything, and like uh, he described can, the process. Can, I believe you can fit five or six Texas stadiums inside <laughs> of AT&T I, Stadium. I think. Yeah, and like uh, you, you go. That's what it feels like. Uh, and he was he was just describing their process where, for you know, a good like five years before they even submitted a bid. You know, like it just like the very first thing they did was every time that they would have a road game, they would send, like, there was a, a team of people that was added to the, you know, Cowboy Charter, and they all they would go up to is just talk with the operations people of the other stadium and just be like, and so they were especially focused on the ones that had been built, you know, at that time. Like, right. Heinz Field was new at that point. Right. Uh, you know, and so they're like saying like, you know, what, what, what did you love? What did you not love? Uh, you know, like, and, and I... I'm sure that everyone does some form of that, but I, I think that this was considerably more like detail intensive. Like it was kind of like, you know, we're going to find out everything that everyone in America knows about stadiums. And that's where we're, that's the knowledge base we're going to build off of to do this one. Like we're, we're starting fresh, you know, like we're like in the way that like Minneapolis is, I feel like just kind of like, it was like the cap, like it's very uh, fucking, you know, like McDonald's uh, scours the world for the perfect location. Then Burger King builds right. next to it. Right. I think every, I think that this is the McDonald's of, uh, of stadiums. And um, the guy, uh, you know, of course he thinks that uh, he's got a, a big job, but uh, was very much like shitting on uh, skyscrapers. It's like, they just design one fucking floor. They do it a hundred times. Who the who gives a fuck? <laughs> uh, he's like, as far There's as pancakes. Yeah. As, as far as fucking, uh, you know, like the amount of interior space that like needed to be architected and designed and he, he claimed that it was fully unprecedented in human history i can understand that it felt remarkable and i just i went in that main entrance that i've seen the videos of people spilling into yeah for the general admission seats or whatever i went in that main entrance the on the west side of the building and then our section was uh 217 which is only like two or three sections to the right, it's yeah. just the very beginning of the curve. And that's really all I explored. But within that, and that's the ground level you walk on, which is like the 200 level of the stadium. But within that, it it felt like the most magnificent. I don't have a large scope. I think it's, you know, I've only been to a couple professional uh, stadiums as far as football goes, but it didn't, it didn't feel... Like I've heard all the tales of people saying it feels like a mall or it feels like, you know, you know, this or that. It definitely didn't I mean, feel it feels like, like North Park, like it, which is the fucking coolest feeling. It definitely on Earth. is the coolest. It didn't feel like North Park to me because that feels like it's trapped in time of the eighties. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I know what you're saying. But this this felt like I hear people say it doesn't feel like a place you'd see sports. But any building that's 
you know, a fucking UFO that's meant to hold a hundred thousand people for various events and sporting events. No, no, no part of that feels natural or normal. So it's being able to say this doesn't feel like a place you'd see sports. Well, yeah, it doesn't feel like the Burleson High School football stadium yeah. or anything. But I'll tell you what does feel about feel make it feel that way is the approach to the stadium. Like we yeah. we had to plan for two weeks. I know we were on a big group text message, and there were members of my older members of my family attending the concert as well. If you don't have like a, you know, a $10,000 per season parking pass at this place, what a absolutely magnificent pain in the ass it is to get to that place and, and, and try to, you know, we had to, I had to download a third party app to find a cheap parking lot that ended up being a dentist lot and you walk a mile. All of that very, felt very familiar to like an away game at Granbury or something <laughs> yeah, that you had yeah. to go visit. And I, I, you know, I don't put it past Jerry Jones to, I, I understand that he's a max profit guy and he got the city to build the stadium for him. And we don't exactly live in a place that's gonna, you know, like, like going to White Sox stadium and it, it is a train stop, yeah. you know, just that very idea seems so obvious but the place we yeah live you know in, whenever we went happen. to that it was uh like it's you know i think less than two dollars to, yeah, to get yeah. on and uh that that's if if the you know the total money being spent like that is lower that's less that he can capture yeah and this felt like planning a trip <laughs> yeah <laughs> to no, just, we, uh, just to attend you the, know? the show started at like what eight forty, and i i think yeah. that we, we were expecting to start another thing 8. i want to come back to how f- strange it felt the way it flowed but Come back to that. Um, but uh like uh we we showed up at five. We we parked at we determined that there was a, a burger place that had a shuttle and that that was probably gonna be our best option because all of the official parking stuff was sold out. So, you know, eight dollar shuttle. So like the total outlay of parking is I mean, you know, it's for me and Megan it was sixteen dollars. Right. Uh, that's, that's difficult to, uh, to get, you know, like, uh, I'm going to whenever they, whenever the weekend plays there. And, uh, I recently purchased parking. It was a lot more than $60. Sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, I was happy to pay it based on this experience. Uh, like we showed up at five uh, at the, at the place just to, to eat a meal and, uh, go to get to our seats. And it took, we sat down about five minutes before the show started. <laughs> like, that's insane. Yeah, that, it's that absolutely it's insane. Three and a half hour ordeal to eat one there's, meal. <laughs> there's thousands of people trying to figure it all, figure it all out. Yeah, which like, you could, we could see the stadium right. quite clearly <laughs> from the, the burger place. We can so, see it from outer space, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like. You know, so I was kind of like, why are we waiting in this line for the shuttle? We could just walk. But yeah, then once you get in, like, you're going at about walking speed. Right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. We chose to, uh, you know, pay 20 bucks. And it was a mile. It was a mile exactly down Randall Mill Road to get to it. We got there with plenty of time, which was nice to be able to explore the stadium a little bit. But uh, I was thinking the whole time when we were sort of talking and you guys were waiting for a burger and this and that, that, yeah, just, just finding a parking lot about a mile from the stadium is probably the move, but it's still, it was brutal walking that mile cause it's 140 degrees. Um, but it did make it worthwhile because we had to, uh, wait for the shuttle afterwards 
and uh, there was a, a, a fight, a mixed gender fight uh in in the time that wow we, that we did so that was a, a worse, highlight that's absolutely worth the price of yeah parking. one <laughs> one of the people who got on our shuttle i don't know if she was just like near them or if she knew them i think that she might have like kind of known them and so we were we were trying to grill because you know uh you don't turn around until like someone's on the ground right no doubt. like that that's what i you know was registering when i was when i was uh going to see what was going on and uh, it was apparently a, a, you know, it was a woman and her boyfriend and then uh, another woman who I think was friends with them. Uh, but it might not have even been that they were. It might have just been like they're all in line and they like bumped into him or whatever. But the one woman who's not got a boyfriend uh, pushes the woman who does. And uh, the boyfriend feels like uh, his protective instincts have kicked in. And so he feels like the best thing to do at that point is to shove a woman over on the <laughs> ground. Jesus uh yeah and then they she got up and she was not happy about it which you know i feel like is within her right although because she remained so unhappy about it for so long the crowd was against her yeah which is an insane thing like the, the woman that got like hit by a man that we all just saw like everyone's like oh shut the fuck up <laughs> Uh, just because she went on for longer than 30 seconds about how she felt it was unjust that this man had shoved her over um <laughs> Yeah, unnamed members of our party uh, felt like they weren't uh, exchanging enough physical blows. Was encouraging them to do more. Uh, it was it was a great scene. So yeah, that that is the upside of uh, the shuttle parking. Yeah, that's a huge upside too. That makes me you know kind of bummed that I didn't see any, anything too eventful. <laughs> Just some people walking slowly, you know, back to the car. Yeah, I don't, so are, are do you are you landing? I mean, I don't mean to pressure you too much. I want your honest opinion, but like, are are you giving a thumbs up to AT and T Stadium? Yeah, I'm. Pre- well, let's we hear we got to break it down okay. a little bit. Okay, the, the show we the show we saw was magnificent. We saw Garth Brooks, the legend, the num you know the top selling recording artist of all time, just a nice humble guy from Stillwater or where, mm-hmm. wherever, mm-hmm. and. um Listen, man, I think he's, he could trans, he could play, you know, he could play a living room, which would be amazing. He could play a living room in a tract home in, in, uh, Haltom City. I would love and to it, see and, that. And it would be, you know, magnificent for, for different reasons. He, he's transcendent. He can do anything. He can, he's the true showman of our time. A pure entertainer. Absolutely. So I say all of that to say that, uh, because it was Garth, I didn't mind that it is the, worst sounding room to hear music that i have ever been in in my entire life absolute trash just stunningly bad and, and like i, 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 I was I, trying I to figure out why like i this is my profession yeah and i was understanding yeah. some of the physical principles involved of why it sounds so bad there's not a lot of top end there's not yeah, a lot give of us everything end. you got i want to hear the huge hear amount of distance of and you know there appeared to be arrays array you know yeah. speaker arrays all over which is normal for a large venue like that and they're all timed you have to delay speakers that are further away from the source so that yeah. everyone is receiving the sound josh said the word slapback several times yeah sure you're gonna get a lot of that and uh if there if the you know garth had a press conference the day before maybe the day of where he intimated he knew i mean it, there's a reputation i've heard that it's a terrible sounding room um, so he's probably heard that as well. And he just knows from playing big sheds and big stadiums that it's, it's an uphill, it's an uphill battle when it comes to sound, you know, and those guys have monitors in their ears, but 
knowing that a room sounds bad can can uh, connect with an artist to make them realize that the sh- the audience might not be giving back uh, to you what it takes to have the best show possible. And um, in his press conference, he was sort of hoping that uh, Lord Jerry would have the roof open because that would help some sound escape. It wouldn't be as bouncy, but I'm not convinced that it would sound much better. I, I need to go, you know, to a Taylor Swift show to find out for sure or whatever with the roof open in the spring. But um, I don't know. It just sounds so bad. And and when the the opener kind of played, there was an opener. This, this is another thing that was confusing. The ticket said seven o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. So I expect things to get rolling at 7.15 or 7.30, typically when it says that. Um, it looked like they were kind of, you guys got in a little bit later, but it, it looked like they were winging it a little bit. And I know that they weren't because productions of this size are typically down to the minute, but an announcer came on. So they had an opener and I assume he was a local guy. He's probably like the guy who plays at said hamburger joint or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or a guy I, who would play out just outside of the stadium. Whenever I saw <laughs> him at uh, Notre Dame, it was definitely a guy from Indiana. Like okay. the guy said that. So. Right. So they had a local guy and he played some covers and stuff, which, Country shows are hilarious. Like, we're going to go see The weekend soon. And I know that, like, every bit of that, and I saw Kendrick Lamar the, the weekend before, every bit of that show is designed. And there's, you know, they light the stage a certain way when the, when the crew is setting up the equipment. And there's just a feeling and a mood. And at a, at a country show, I've been to my fair share, not the most, but in, at a country music show, you know, they have the house lights up in G- in AT&T Stadium and a guy comes on the mic and says, yeah, we're going to get going. Uh, we're going to see if we can kick this off pretty soon. We'll see. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> like, like it's a, con- a county fair or something. And, uh, the, you know, I don't think that guy kicked off until 745. Okay. Close to eight, maybe. And then he played like, you know, 12 minutes. Yeah, And then there was kind of another long changeover before Trisha Yearwood came up and played like a four or five song set, mm-hmm. which felt totally kind of like last minute that they decided to do that or something. I don't know, because the local opener was sharing the gear with Trisha Yearwood's band. It just felt like they were kind of making some last minute decisions. And they said, uh, like she was like saying, like this is the first time I've done this on this tour. Right. Uh, which By which I know that she meant like playing before. This was a, a discussion amongst our group because they were like, didn't you say that you'd seen Trisha at the Notre Dame show? And I said, yes, but it was in the middle. Like it was it was in the encore. They uh, Whenever they played uh, Shallow, the, yeah. uh, the, the Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper joint, uh at the notre dame show like that was that was trisha coming like garth started that by himself right in the middle of the song she rises out from under the drums she surprises yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah it was i saw i saw garth at the forum in la a couple years ago it was incredible and i can't remember which is odd if trisha did a full set with her band so i'm assuming it was before yeah because that wouldn't have yeah i think it's common enough throughout their history right but it, it it just kind of felt like it wasn't completely planned, although I know it had to be planned. It just still felt a little off the cuff, which is a crazy thing to happen inside of a place where there's 100,000 people. 
mm-hmm. you know. I'd love but, to know but, the behind the scenes, like absolutely. You know, if there were things going on. Right. Or, there had to be. Um and Garth didn't play till like nine after nine? Nine yeah, thirty. Nine thirty, right? I was surprised by how much changeover time there was between Trisha and Garth. It Just, all felt it all felt pretty uh Although it, it can't have been like too surprised because uh, she had her own band. Like she introduced, you know, like four or five dudes. Yeah. And with the, and whenever she they was playing with some Garth, players and uh, she introduced the players that aren't a part of Garth's band. Yeah. But, and it was, right. you know, most of the people on the stage. Right. Uh, so, you know, if it was like we decided the last minute to throw Trish on, they wouldn't even be there. Yeah. Because she was just playing with Garth's people after that, right? Yeah. Like whenever she can. Yeah. Yeah. Because so she thing. played some of her own songs at the, the Garth thing. Like there, you know, he was just, I don't even know if he was still up on stage. Right. Um, but I, I think it was just. I mean, it's such a mesmerizing show. Neither of us can remember each experience <laughs> that we see Garth. Well, I mean, it's, it's a weird, like, uh, you know, it's it's a stadium show, and the the stage. You know, it's a stage in the round thing, and so there's at, there's like this square structure on top of the stage of the you know four t- screens on each side. Um, and I was closer at the Notre Dame one, so I was doing a little bit more like uh, you know back and forth. But for most of it, I'm just watching the screen, right? Which like they build the show around that, like. The camera crew is top fucking notch, right? And like they've got oh, their yeah, bits they're... that they're like used to doing, and like they're they're they make it so that like like you would say like you know well why don't you just fucking watch it on TV at your house if you're just watching a screen like you know I don't know maybe but like they're pretty fucking good at what they're doing like they it's right a, there's a director in a truck they're improv yes. they're catching they're catching interesting looking people in the audience they're yes. scanning they've. There's a whole thing. And yeah, that argument of like, man, you go to a concert just to watch the TV or whatever. It's like, well, that, yeah, you're, you're in a room where like the, you know, he's the size of a, you know, an ant to take from Zoolander. Like, you know, he's like half a mile away from you. So in order to just kind of look and to see the entire thing, you got to look, you got to, you know, you got to look at the screen every once in a while. And it's, and it's totally fine. Yeah, so that's how do I don't that. know whether Garth was on stage during some of the shit because he's not on camera. You know, like whenever yeah. it's Trisha doing a Trisha song in the encore at, in the Indiana show, you know, I don't know fucking Garth's on stage because he's not on the on the screen, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, everyone knows that AT and T has bad sound, uh, but so I was you know walking in ready for that but yeah it was still didn't matter i mean it was a lot of noise just like half of what you're like just so much of my ears were just taken up by shit that was not like yeah you know what they had intended for it to be yeah absolutely and it's not a quiet show but the room is just so big that you can hear other people's conversations dude it was quiet like during the the, show right fucking i was when they started playing i was i was shocked by how not loud it was yeah and I, Josh is speculating, you know, I don't know fucking shit about this, but Josh was explaining uh, that like that's to mitigate, you know, like if they're, if they're putting out more sound than like it's, then that's going to be fucking reverberated through all the shit. So like, yeah, it'll try just and manage. make it work. They're definitely taking all of that into account. And I don't believe that AT&T Stadium would have a, a decibel uh, limit, but uh, like when we saw Steely Dan at Dickie's, you know, as soon as they started, I was like, this is going to, 
that's right. That's definitely louder than 90 dBs. But when Steely Dan started, I was like, this is going to be a 90 dB show. And uh, Dodie, who a friend of ours who was, I was with, was like, what does that mean? And I was like, well, they kind of limit the sound, you know, they're, they, they don't want to just like bang out people's eardrums. And so he pulled out his phone and there was a, there was a, uh, a you know, uh, he has a decibel meter on his phone and sure enough, it was averaging around 90 dBA, which is like uh, kind of a standard thing. So in a giant stadium, it was probably a hundred, which is, you know, uh, the way a decibel works is it doubles itself exponentially each time. So 100 dB is a lot louder than 90 dB. However, that room is so giant that it's just escaping. And so there's so much reflection, you know, and and nonsense that it's... But but God damn it, he just stands up there with an acoustic guitar, man. And he uh, can own it. And when he did that, it's, it's the whole thing's transcendent. You can't... Tears yeah. were flowing, you know... And an extremely special part of the show was that, and I'm sure you noticed this, don't think it happened in Indiana. That was the fifth time I've seen Garth. He had a double, he, there were two bands playing the entire show. His studio band and his live band were playing the entire time, two drummers, the whole show. And he later, and he later, you know, about halfway through the show presented it that the G-Men, who's one of the most legendary studio bands in Nashville of all time, were on stage simultaneously playing the show with his live band. And it was remarkable. And you're, you're, I was so far away and it sounds so shitty that I couldn't, not until he sort of made that known that I noticed that that was happening. I mean, I noticed the second guy on the drum set and I knew I had known that Mike Palmer's been his drummer forever, so I was like, "Oh, that's cool." There's a percussionist behind him, but no, there were two mirrored drum sets to where they were their backs were against each other, and um, uh, ah, I can't remember his name now. But the G-Man drummer was playing the whole time that Mike Palmer was playing, and there was you know triples, <laughs> there was doubles and triples of the entire band. Yeah, uh, and I, I, you know. The whole thing is like uh, real fucking corny, yeah. Like, sure. Uh, that's that's the like, I don't know. Some part, some part of the enjoyability of the experience is like you're in a room full of people where it's absolutely required that you check any sense that that might be bad or embarrassing. Uh, One like, million percent. That that's what's enjoyable about the show is the uh, this suspension of uh, of that sort of thing. Uh, but so in, in that environment, I was, uh, really blown away by his little story about, uh, his, uh, one of the backup singers that they had. Cause they, he, the, the two, uh, that, that are always with him, like they were with him at the Indiana show that he'd been say, you know, right. said that they've been playing with him since 92, I think. Right. Uh, you know, like, and I, I remember them from like other live performances right. through the years. Uh, they were there. And then, then yeah, there was another woman who seemed like younger, uh, you know, like or probably my age, something yeah, around there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he he said that uh, he had run into Kelly Clarkson, and that Kelly Clarkson had been telling him that she, she had a friend who really liked Garth's music, <laughs> which like you know, like that's great. Like of course, if you ever and meet she him. looked like Trish Yearwood, so he's got a type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like if if I met him, I would also tell him, you know, like uh, that I know uh, I know some people that like his music too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he you he bet seemed... my mom said that she <laughs> kind of tapped me and was like, "That could be you drumming. You like <laughs> you like Garth? Yeah, I need to get a hold of him. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, so yeah, Kelly told 
Kelly met Garth and told him that one of her friends really likes his songs. Um, and he was like, uh, what up? Well, I said to her, can she sing? And she was like, yeah, but she went the mom route. <laughs> um, and uh, 50,000 people erupt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I killed my dreams too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yeah he just had some fucking lady that like knows kelly clarkson uh <laughs> you know with no other whatever and uh i i noticed before he even like said all that there was times where you know i mean like obviously the uh both literal and figurative spotlight is on him so like where he chooses to go on the stage is like you know very much directing the flow of energy right and there was times when he was like you know like put like pulling her out to the center of the stage and like like, you know, sure. you fucking sing. Yeah. Uh, and so you now this is just some fucking friend of Kelly's that like lives <laughs> in the area. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, I half a dozen times I've welled up during the show, but I shared those uh, passion, impassioned, uh, joyful tears that the uh, second fiddle player, when he was introduced and he was, um, uh, one of one of the studio players from the G-Men uh, was introduced by Garth as as uh, you know being really essential to a lot of the uh, to part parts of his catalog throughout the years, and he introduces this guy and he kind of takes and it was the it was one of the biggest uh, receptions of the night that this fiddle oh, player yeah. got it might have been the biggest cheer yeah right yeah. and he was overcome with emotion by it and he kind of took center stage and kind of did a wave. And uh, he just lost it, you know, and the tears were flowing and, and it'd be hard not to, there's a hundred thousand people staring at you, giving you love. And yeah, so, at that point, you're probably thinking about like being in your fucking room as a six year old, the first time you're trying to practice and like, that's what you're thinking. That's I know for a fact, Yeah, <laughs> but that's what you're thinking. And it was just, it was just a lovely way to share that energy. And I felt that energy. I haven't felt that since I was in West Palm beach for Tony Robbins weekend. <laughs> yeah. I haven't felt a room that electric, I feel like. Have you been through a Tony Robbins no, thing? Okay. No. I I would have figured that when we watched the Tony Robbins documentary, you would have mentioned that. Nah. Yeah, no, it is an electric you know. experience. Um, look at that. What? The uh mattress firm commercial? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, got a White Sox game on. Uh handling the Royals right now. Let's hope it holds. It didn't um, last week. No, it didn't last week. That was a different week and a different yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we've refocused our efforts since then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, it was, it was a tremendous experience. Every single bit of it was as wonderful as I thought it could be. I was able to share it with my mother and with friends, and I knew you guys were in the room, and that felt very great. And uh, you know, he didn't fly. But you know, we all get older. It's so. too bad that he doesn't yeah, fly it does, anymore. It, I know. I feels it feels like something he'd do still. Yeah, and like some of the uh, like he used to have uh, like a rain for uh, oh, that's right thunder rolls thunder rolls and Never fire for standing machine. outside the fire. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think he's decided that that's uh, you know not something he wants to do anymore. Nah, which you know he get it. I'm sure it's a big fucking pain in the ass. All of it. Yeah. I mean, how many times do you want to step through fire? Yeah, man, that's a young man's game. At one point, you're just going to burn to death. Yeah, no kidding. You do that every day, you know. 
at some point. Um, but yeah, uh, I did uh, it definitely, you know, I assume everyone knows this, but if you thought that the set list, set list changed drastically from night to night, that's essentially what it was. And yeah, I don't think it changes from year to year. Yeah. I think I saw a pretty similar set in 2017 at and the like forum, uh you know the, because it was the Dallas, garth show it's the show you know yeah it's the show yeah i mean just a lot of the things he says are like the exact thing that he said right he, like he's got a couple speeches he gives them yeah i uh, feel it though i believe him every time yeah you know? yeah I, yeah the running jokes about him being a sociopath and stuff like that i can see mm-hmm. <laughs> i could see if things were two clicks different that he might approach life differently or might have been in a different profession or yeah you know world nation building or serial killing or any number of things but i always believe him and that's why that's why he could never be anything different that's why he's an ultimate entertainer and it's he's a definitely di- like a divergent individual you like like the, the, the it's not like he is like you and i you know like there's many ways in which he is like absolutely exceptional obviously he's right. the greatest selling artist of all time and yeah the, the ways that that expresses itself um, you know, it's interesting. It's right. fascinating. But he gives a tailored speech that sort of, you know, he probably does from show to show, but he also gives you a moment at the end where he tells you earnestly and honestly that North Texas is a place that sort of uh, incubated him and made him who he is before he was big. That was the exceptional thing is the times that he was speaking about Dallas specifically. Right. And when you play Cowboys, which is less than a mile away, from Cowboys Stadium, you know, in in 25 years. No, 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 I'm sorry. 30, 30 plus years ago. And, you know, you do that and then and then you make a statement that is this is the greatest feeling in the world and this is the best time I've ever been in this city. You can't help but believe that because yeah. he because he played a mile away at a club that fit 300 people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it was, it was a really special night. Garth is God. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about there, our big topic? No, let's get on to the big topic. Um, so you've been texting me about – I generally astounded and also intimidated by the pace at which you devour content. Like uh, I, I would need a couple different lifetimes to actually watch all of the things that you say, like you got to watch this. <laughs> Well, some of some of these documentaries that I was, I spent Sunday with my father, and uh, he had he had a, he likes to call it a guilty day. All that means it's the one it's the one day out of seven in a week that my seventy three year old father didn't work, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he feels guilty about it. But you know, he's a man of a generation, so we kind of spent Sunday. It started because he wanted to show me the the Spring Valley, I believe it's called Spring Valley Raceway, which was the center of drag racing in the, of the world. And it was in Smith, Smithville. You'll have to ask Jake, but it's North Richland Hills essentially. And so we just kind of went down, me and my dad went down a classic YouTube rabbit hole on Sunday. That's wonderful. Yeah. At one point you're sending me uh 2014 peach bowl highlights. Yes. We watched the 2000 part highlights of the 2014 peach bowl. We watched classic drag racing from the late sixties uh a, a short documentary about castle bravo which was almost ended the world when the united states tested i think it's only hydrogen bomb 
destroyed a coral reef and a and a and a people. Yeah, so I mean, you know, you you can spin it like it's just this one day or whatever, but it's it's all the time that you're like. Yeah, I've watched uh, two documentary series today. They're both great. Well, yeah, conversely, I think it's remarkable that you're able to perseverate on one documentary for six to eight weeks and really get truly inside of it. And that's really what I would like to do. I'm just you know your pedestrian viewer, but I feel like you you take it to the next level by the end of something you've devoured i do like reading about fabulous extra i like digging in if something's good then usually i mean like that oprah thing last week is the perfect example absolutely Uh, just like you know that clip's great and like so you could say like you know surely whoever posted this clip they're finding the best part and so like everything else is downhill from here so like you know just enjoy the clip and move on with your life right that's not how i feel no way i i I, want to know more and it's it's rare in my life that digging for more isn't uh, tremendously worth it and valuable it's always the best yeah uh and so uh You'd suggested several things, and I was like, all right, uh, no way that I'm going to be able to watch all of this, <laughs> but if you want to pick one. Listen, uh, man, I'm a single guy without children, so that probably <laughs> gives me a little bit of, um, gives me an extra hour. We can uh, we, we can talk about it, and uh, yeah, so the, what, what you picked was uh, the <laughs> TWA 800, yeah. a document about a TWA Flight 800. It's just called TWA Flight 800. Why wouldn't it be? Um, and uh, yeah, I I had not thought about Flight 800 at all in the last 20 years, probably. But I kind of knew that. I kind of had an inkling uh, that you hadn't given it much thought. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who has. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's most of the world, yeah. most likely. Yeah. Uh, but I do remember it. Like I was... Uh, I was talking with uh, Alex yesterday, uh, my life skills co-host, and he uh, had no recollection. I, I, don't, I don't think he'd ever heard of it. He said he'd never heard of it, and after probing, I, I guess I believe him, even though he, you know, could have drawn, uh, could have drove to see the, uh, the the site from where he, you know, from Princeton, New Jersey. Sure, wow. if he if he needed to, um, probably about three hours. Well, that speaks to the time. Yeah, it happened in 1996. The early internet. You know, it was 96. Okay. 96. See, I was telling him later than that, but I, I just could, I mean, whatever they say the dates on the documentary, I guess I should have known, but, uh, I clearly remember it. I, I, we were, it was in the summer. So we were, uh, visiting my grandparents. That's around this time of year. Yeah. That what, what we did in summers is, you know, for sometimes like three full weeks, we would go up to Naperville and just, you know, go between the two grandparents' houses. And Naper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go up there and just Naper. Um, and uh, I was I was at my my dad's parents' house when the word came down. There's a there's a big crash, and I think that that was the first big crash like of my like consciousness. Yeah. You know? Right. Of uh, like holy shit, like right. two hundred people out of the sky, and you do like I faintly recall like was it a missile? Sure. Right. Um, and uh, that—that's what the documentary is about. Uh, is that yeah? These folks want to let you know: don't listen to your government. It was a missile. Um, and so we we watched this documentary, and then government I, officials telling you don't listen to your government. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, so we watched this documentary, and then you had also found a uh, medium post where it looks like the guy just rolls through various accident reports, right? 
He's he's got a series just expressing the accident reports in layman's terms. Amazing project. Yeah, it really is. That's a good hook if you're looking for a hook. Yeah. Um and so uh yeah, I think our 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 project today is just the comparing and contrasting the two. And I'm very glad that we did it in that order. I liked sitting down to the documentary and just being able to hear the guys lay out their case, you know, like I didn't know exactly what, cause there's a woman who's the, who's listed as the director, but that guy that's being interviewed, that's like just the, the person who's interested, like I think is also a driving force in the production. Yeah. It, I think it became his film or it is his film. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought at the beginning that it listed two names, one man, one woman, and he was the man. And then at the end, like it says something like written and directed by, and it's just the woman's name. Okay. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I also think it is his film, you know, like yeah. I heard they were close collaborators. Sure. Um, you gotta look at, he probably is in the executive producer role. And as, as yeah. I feel like as the film, uh, who this guy is, is an eyewitness, correct? No. He, he didn't witness it at all. No, he's just a fucking guy. He's just a fuck guy. He he's watched, a physicist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's in college studying to get a degree in physics. And his story that he, it's just like, you know, 30 seconds of the documentary. God damn it. Socks just hit into a double play in a basis loaded situation. It's unfortunate. Um, They're trying to distract you, TC. But uh, so he. Uh, he just was watching CNN when the CIA video came on and was just like, what the fuck are they trying to do here? I can understand that. Uh, That's and then quite he, a video. He, he says, like, from there, he was just, like, uh, looking up witnesses and calling them on the phone. And That's right. Like, I remember his explanation. Yeah, what did, you know, what did you see? Did it look like it was just whatever? Because the <laughs> this, this is definitely something that, like... It, it, it's one of the major facts of the the whole uh, you know, documentary, the whole story. But like, I certainly had no recollection, and I, I'm going to guess that the entire audience doesn't remember this. But uh, yeah, the CIA put together a video, and like, I got major red flags that they're in here at all. Yeah, absolutely. Like, investing. Like, whenever there's a crash like this, obviously it's the NTSB that's taking place. right. Uh, because, and this is more like in the, the medium article we read about the crash report, they explain, because this is definitely not made clear in the documentary, um, that because there were these reports of missile, that's why the FBI was involved at all. Because if it's someone shooting a missile, that's a crime. If we're going to bring charges against whoever shot this missile, we need to assemble this evidence. Right. There, everyone in the documentary is talking about how the FBI uh is there to make sure that uh it's not charged as i know a crime. which is kind of a really fascinating thing to kind of realize after you read the article is that the documentary is 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 uh sort of paneled and filled with uh ntsb investigators yeah there's several ntsb investigators uh that have uh, a long history of working with the NTSB and they're putting forth the argument that the FBI stepped in, took charge of the investigation and then did everything within their power uh, to cover up or, or no, no, it doesn't necessarily say that they are doing everything within their power to, to cover up it. 
they they put forth the opinion that it's very strange that the FBI is even there at all until they decide that there's a a crime involved and that they're doing suspicious things. Like right. uh, you know, one guy has a story about how he you know found a. A piece of the wreckage that uh, looks suspicious, and they wanted to test it to see if there was any explosive residue on it. And uh, they had the machines there, and uh, they they tested it once, and uh, it uh, came back that it did have explosive residue. And then the FBI guys were like, "Oh, that can't be right." And they tested it a bunch more times, and like all those said that it didn't have it. But those they wouldn't let them watch right. when they were doing those tests. They were just like, "Oh, we'll do another test. You wait outside." Oh yeah, this one says it doesn't have anything on it. And then uh, we're like, "Oh, but to really know, we gotta like uh, you know take this away. You know, like we're we're gonna transport it to NASA or whatever." And you know, they're saying like you know that that kind of stuff like just. The act of transporting evidence it, tampering as yeah, well could, that like uh you know affect like you know if it's exposed to the elements or whatever that the fucking residue might get lost or whatever um and all that stuff you know like by all means those are the people who are on the site like you know actually fucking examining the wreckage uh, I'm I'm happy to hear their stories but very easy for me to imagine how that's all just like workplace bullshit yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like just like uh, you're always going to have it's people who are like don't like you multiple know, agencies involved in the same thing. That's the yeah, classic and they're story. Like, like fucking big dick in them, and so this yeah. guy wants to say like you know it's it's not just that like he actually does have a higher rank than me, and in fact I'm not that important. What's going on is nefarious. It's it's you know it's 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 definitely not the case that I personally am not important. It's just that there are shadow forces sure. that are acting on this. When, like, it might just be that you're not that important, dude. Yeah. I mean, one one of the guys in the film, though, is the lead, I believe, is listed as lead investigator for the NTSB. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a, he's kind of a, he wasn't the head of the NTSB, but he was the lead investigator on this particular case. So some of the, some of the points he raises about, you know, uh, for instance, they divided all of the wreckage found into uh, uh, three zones, red zone, yellow zone, and green zone. Uh, and that's determined by where they were found in the ocean. And so, you know, he puts forth the idea that members of the FBI have come in and moved and retagged some of the pieces of the wreckage to make it look more like there wasn't a missile. Yeah, but, they, but, they had uh, three FBI guys on camera going into the hangar at like 3 a.m. whenever everyone else isn't there. Right. And it's like, what are they doing? And the guy who's sort of uh, hosting the physicist fellow who became interested in the case, you know, sort of backs one of the FBI investigators into a corner at one point during the film just to get the guy to admit that, uh, you know, they basically didn't do this one part of investigating correctly. That one, so the the uh, and that substance was an interesting there, thing. Substance there was the like uh, the left wing broke apart, um, bef and they said that when examining the wreckage, uh, that there was a pattern on the left wing that would that there was some kind of material that you, they called the splatter pattern. It's like a chemical is like you know landing on this wing and being sprayed on this wing. Um, and it's uh, based on the pattern before the wing broke apart. Right. So if 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 it's what uh, the government says it is, you know, the NTSB says it is that uh, it's a, a the fuel tank in the middle of the plane 
um, exploded, then, you know, like that's going to be, then like, how do you have explosive material? Like I think it it says positive for nitrates or something like that. Uh, How is that going to end up on the wing before it broke apart? Like, so this, you know, the, the fucking tank exploding in the, in the plane, that's going to be like, you know, pushing the wing off and fucking it up and everything. So any, any like, uh, you know, damage from that explosion is going to occur after the wing is broken or, you know, as the wing's breaking apart, whatever. Um, and so the, they're like, you know, you've got this, this nitrate on the wing or whatever. And the, the FBI guy's like, well, you know, that chemicals in a lot of stuff, uh, finding on the wing isn't necessarily like proof of an explosive. Uh, and they're like, well, you know, maybe we should talk to the guy who's uh, responsible for testing whether or not it was an explosive. Oh, wait, that's you. How come you didn't test it, fucker? Uh, and he's like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Fair question. That's the one part where, like, not just one, but the main part where it's frustrating to uh, consume it in the way that we did where the guy who writes, who wrote the Medium article did see the documentary. Right. Uh, he, but he kind of like just mentions that at the end. Yeah. Uh, it's not like he's like writing a takedown of the documentary. Um, but that's a very like a ship's passing in the night part of it. He just doesn't talk about the splatter pattern at all. Right. The guy writing the medium article. Right. So I, I don't, I don't know if he has an explanation for it. I don't know if he feels like There's whatever. a couple times where there's some discrepancies. And I think it's probably because I watched the documentary first where like the documentary raises the point that a couple of these key factors are just sort of glossed over or like left out there hanging a little bit. And the guy who's writing the article supporting you could, I guess it's fair to say the official investigation kind of glosses over a couple of the same things too, whether intentionally or not. And you know, it doesn't, it doesn't after reading the analysis of the investigation, I'm fairly sure that there isn't some big cover up, but it, it doesn't uh, relieve me of thinking that, you know, bureaucratic elements of the government fuck up <laughs> all the time when it, when it's, when the stakes are extremely high, you know, but that's, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not left with the idea that anyone fucked up here. Uh, but so the one thing that I, I can't believe that we've gone this far without, uh, like really hammering on the thing that like the strongest case that the documentary has where like, I am still left with questions, like questions that I think that there are answers. And like, I, I, I suspect I know what the answer is, but like, still, you really got to contend with this. You have hundreds of people who say that they saw a missile, right? You know, like, uh, it, it just, it was in a very populated part of New York that it was off the shore. There's a lot of people looking out in that direction and, uh, person after person after person say that they saw a missile. And one of the guys, you know, they're really holding up is like, uh, you know, he's got it nailed down is a, a Vietnam helicopter pilot Right, says that he's staring at the thing the whole time. And he knows what a fucking missile looks like. He knows what ordnance looks like. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, this is that. Yeah. You know, like, I, I watched it. And, you know, the documentary, they they trot out all those things. Uh, 
By they, the time that they actually lay out what they think happened, yeah, that's of three separate three, missiles. I'm like, the, all right, that's the first fucking time there's any mention of three missiles. You think when you're hearing these explanations from people the entire time that perhaps a terrorist or they've put forth the the idea that maybe the Navy accidentally fired a missile. <laughs> like this missile was just hungry, hungry for some fucking wreckage. And it heat-seeked the Flight 800 and shot it out of the sky. And you sort of hear all these people's explanations about seeing a missile or a thing that kind of appears over the horizon, kind of takes a couple weird turns, and then an explosion happens, right? So, but then when they finally put forth right at the very end of the documentary, what could have happened? They all of a sudden, they're dropping on you that is three, that three fucking thing, three fucking heat-seeking missiles, or whatever would and have I, had to be fired to bring that it down. I think that has to be that they're trying to take the various, like all of the, the number of people who say they saw a missile, then you're like, okay, what specifically did you see? And they're like, well, it went here and here and here, you right. know? And like, they're like, okay. And to make all of those work together, then they have to account for three missiles. And I, I don't know that any of the people, I did, there was a couple of the eyewitnesses that described seeing two. I don't think that there was a single, like, one person that was like, what I saw was three missiles. Sure. No, um, I didn't hear that at all. And so I I think that it's like, this is what they're landing at because they have to, like, account for so many different people saying they saw, like, whatever. Right. They're like, that's where it ends up. And I, I do also think that the documentary would have been much stronger. Like, I... You know, if you're like, hey, there was a missile and like I can prove that, but like I don't really know what else is going on, like so be it, you know, like that's life. But uh, I do think that for it to be considerably stronger, you need to tell me like fucking and this is why. Right. Uh, and it is it is one of the, the amazing things about the uh, plane accidents like this is – Throughout history, I think most of the time that someone intentionally takes down a plane, it's uh, like the Lockerbie bombing was like just like pure terrorism, right? Right, yes. Um, Which there's a suggested viewing of the Lockerbie documentary. Have you seen if it? If we want to follow up. No, not okay. yet. I didn't have 45 minutes yesterday to sneak that one in. Um, there was uh, one that was thwarted. Uh, the uh, Al-Qaeda Al uh, was trying to do a, uh, a Pacific flight. Uh, have an explosion, um, but ju like just for you know fucking the point of killing people, right? right. Um, and that that's that's the way that like uh, these intentional bombings are often carried. If that's out. how you want to reduce a caliphate. Sure. But I always like to think about because that is that that's that's going to be what people assume. That's going to be the cover. So if you're trying to assassinate a specific person. Like if there is just someone who knows too much and you just wait till they get on a plane and, you know, I mean, like it's, it's devious because you got hundreds of innocents involved, but you know, like if you, if there's just one fucking scientist, like, uh, in, uh, another documentary I watched, uh, Wormwood, it's a six part series that, uh, Errol Morris put together about, uh, there's a guy that, uh, whenever the church committee came out investigating the CIA's activities in the fifties and sixties, um, one of the things that like one of the real, uh, limited hang parts of it is like, listen, there was a guy that killed himself and we know a little bit more about it than we let on. Yeah. And, uh, what we know is that we may have given him acid without him knowing <laughs> like two weeks before. 
uh, and uh, I forgot what. Oh, so th- what eventually comes out, or you know, the where where you end up is that they, they that guy was inside the MK Ultra program, and that he didn't like it. He was like saying like this: we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, he he was doing what. Uh, uh, Dr. Laura told the, the, the guy with the bed on the Pope to do, <laughs> right. uh, just go to, go to his friends and say that we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Um, and so they, so they killed him. For right. It. Uh, and, uh, so if, if instead you'd been like, well, you just wait till that guy gets on a plane and blow up the whole plane and some fucking random scientist, who's going to believe that a whole plane was blown up for some fucking random scientist uh you know like that kind of stuff i it's it, it really makes my mind race yeah same here and no, uh, no and, telling and yeah you know, and Seth so mcfarland was supposed to be on one of those 911 planes so I know maybe it, they man. maybe they had a real <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a real agenda for for him uh yeah but yeah so you know if if they're just saying like it could have been that i don't fucking know uh you know all i know is that some people saw a missile get fired at a plane um then like fair enough i guess but uh it's it is weaker if you don't if you if you can find which scientist you think they were killing uh i think that your argument you know grows by leaps and bounds and this documentary doesn't have that right and uh, and no it should be noted that no terrorist organization laid claim to taking down flight 800 i think they said and, no credible claim which to me it, meant that right. some, someone yeah. did say <laughs> yeah that well, could have been us don't fucking worry well, about yeah. it as we as we often say on this podcast, Al Qaeda is a shooter shoot. Can mentality. we at least briefly touch on the absolute cartoonish nature of the CIA trying to make like one one of the most like it's probably telling the truth at this point. We've sort of surmised. Well, I don't know, but I mean, here's one interesting thing: is that the guy who uh, analyzed, and I don't know his credentials, but the guy who analyzes the uh, the the report of what happened and the official report does say that the plane pitched up when the nose when the no, the no, the nose separated and then the plane pitched up and that is possibly one of the reasons why people could have seen something going up in the sky which probably not cuz it only went from an elevation of like or a uh, uh, altitude of like 13,000 feet to 15,000 feet so who knows what that looks like from some distance but um some of these scientific, the guys who work for the NTSB guys were saying that that was kind of a load of bullshit. They don't think that could happen. Yeah, but, I'm not but, a physicist, but I kind of thought that they were full of shit. I did too, because yeah. which why? But it's a weird thing that they would be lying about that. Like, what's their agenda? They work for the NTSB to be lying about that. But to me, if an if a plane suddenly loses eighty thousand pounds and the jets are behind it, that yeah, the natural physical principle is that it might pitch up and then drag is going to hit it and then make it fall out of the sky. It doesn't seem out of bounds to think that that's what happened, but it was interesting to me that these guys who supposedly don't have an agenda, they're just searching for the truth. If you're losing a lot of weight from anywhere and you still got the wings, like, yeah. And and that's why it would go up is because you lost the front. But it was, I didn't understand why they were saying why, what their point is and saying that that's, could never happen. I mean, it seems like it's, you know, I don't know. You know, I'm pretty far from a physicist. I, uh, one of my uh, friends from Excel uh, got his degree in physics 
and doesn't do anything remotely related to it now, but was over the course of the last time I was hanging out with him, just like popping off the occasional like physics thing. And I was, yeah. just, I was just blown away. Right. Like, you know, just like he was just <laughs> like, he just sees everything from like, you know, in terms of like force and waves and yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm like, so just like fucking shit would come up. You're more of like, a vibe guy. <laughs> yeah. It just, I mean, I'm, I am into like, no, I know. I might, I don't know. It would just, I'm so far from, like, I, I just, I don't remember any math at this point. Uh, yeah, and so, shit. like, the, the, the degrees I would have to get to, like, the, the remedial work I would have to do to understand. But it, it did make me think, that like, sounds terrible with too. as much time as I spend in water, I would like to understand waves. <laughs> like, like in the way that he does. Like, he made it seem simple, you know? Yeah. Like, he's just like, yeah, man, it's just like, you, you got a wave, and this is how waves yeah. act, and, you know, whatever um but so uh so i don't know maybe to those people this all is like so fucking easy and it's insane that these guys are uh landing on it but to me it looks like it's a complicated don't run into it that much scenario where it makes sense to me that reasonable people can disagree right absolutely you know like if you got 100 physicists if you have a difficult enough problem there's no way you're going to get all the 100 even though all of them are physicists to agree on what happened right well, the, the CIA video, just the, just the production style was f- fabulous. It looked like Troy McClure at any point would say, hi, I'm Troy McClure. <laughs> Absolutely. The, you might remember me from MKUltra. other bombings. Or, yeah, yeah. You, you know. Um, and just but, the, and, and their points They just in, repeated, not a missile. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. <it> was, <laughs> their points in the documentary about, like, the, the way that they're talking is if they know that it's a missile. Yeah. <laughs> like, anytime someone's, like, telling me over, like, and they put it on, the, like, as they're saying it, they put it on the screen and they underline it. Yeah. Like, whenever they are pushing a conclusion so forcefully, I'm like, okay, well, now I know it's a missile. Like, right, absolutely. That's, yeah, so the, the guy's journey of, like, I watched that You've done video, a terrible job, CIA. And I was You're trying really... to then, like, understand what was being hidden from me. The the way that they're doing it, like, the fact that he's dedicated his life to figuring out what was what was being hidden makes sense to me because it is so obvious they're hiding something. Like, it's it's the it's a textbook. Like, fuck it. You just watch that video and you're just like, this is, should, this is how the government the, sounds when they're the lying. CIA video, TC. Sure. Because people should see this. It's it's comic. Yeah. And that that's that that one thing alone, like despite all of the evidence and the physical principles involved and knowing that there's probably some workplace bullshit and you know, there's various uh law enforcement agencies involved that that resent and hate each other and this and that, and this is my crime scene now and all that. The CIA putting out a fucking five-minute goofball cartoon is the one thing that still makes me think that this there might be some minuscule thing that makes this a cover-up <laughs> yeah and, and what i was starting <laughs> to done. say earlier is like uh the fucking uh you know the, the fbi their their role in these kinds of things is like you know to investigate crimes that have occurred on american soil uh and you know the ntsb their role is to fucking you know like uh do uh, to figure out what happens in crashes like the cia's the CIA role is though. to lie to the public right like that's like whenever you're <laughs> right. bringing them in and it's it's not an fbi video the fbi did this full investigation they're the ones interested in like uh you know explaining everything happened and everything like that like it's their job but whenever it comes time for uh us to like run something on cnn explaining what it, it's not just 
the people who've been doing the investigation that are like, here's what we found. It's like, hey, let's get those guys that are good at fucking yeah. planting ideas that aren't true into unsuspecting minds. Like, let's see what they got. Right. Like, why is like, and I mean, the way that they say it is like the CIA knows the weapon systems better, but like, they're not even talking about weapon systems very much. They're, they're talking not. about the physics of the plane. Right. Like, they're explaining like the way that this plane broke apart, it's going to go up and then it's going to go down and that part where it's going up, you might think that's a missile, but it's not a missile. Uh, like, none of that is expertise the CIA has. Not at all. It's it not about the weapon system. Right. It crossed my mind at some point, like, God damn, they're, they're just like roaming. They had to roam the, the halls at Langley for a couple days to be like, do we have anybody here that knows anything? I mean, of course they do. I know there's pilots for the CIA and probably, probably entire aviation programs and, and, and this and that. But it was like, man, we need, we need like a guy who kind of knows about aeronautics, but who can also kind of like present some bullshit, <laughs> you know, it's just a very like, why are they here type of yeah. vibe. So whenever you look at that and whenever you look at uh, the fact that there are hundreds of people who say they saw a missile, whenever those are the, the, the two pieces of evidence I'm putting forward, uh, you know, I got a lot of questions about whether or not there's a missile. Right. Um, and I, I think that like uh, where this like sort of the uh, the meta question facing us as we compare the documentary to the Medium article is just like what kinds of evidence should you be guided by if if assuming that all of it's available you know uh, and so the the medium article is really focused on um that uh there's a metal beam within the aircraft that uh is split apart and you know it was split apart by what certainly looks like the force of an explosion inside the aircraft in in the center they call it the center wing fuel tank which is very i understand yeah, that they confusing. mean it's like in the area where the wings right, is but right. there's no there's no center wing of the plane right right um but they call it the center wing fuel tank and if whenever you like examine the beams of the center wing fuel tank it's like they're being bent outwards because there was an explosion inside the center wing fuel tank and that's what's uh causing the problem and uh they're in the documentary uh very dismissive because the uh, NTSB does not, they don't like, so, you know, the center wing fuel tank, it's got jet fuel in it. Um, and what they're saying is that the jet fuel exploded, like that there was a spark inside the tank and that that caused the jet fuel to ignite and that that made an explosion that tore apart the plane. Um, and uh, in the documentary, they're very dismissive of that because they're like, well, if there was a spark, like show me the charred wire. And the NTSB is up front, like we don't have a charred wire. And so they're like, well, then your whole explanation sounds like it's pretty flimsy. Right. And uh, what they're not telling you is a lot of things. A lot of things, including that at the time, 30% of every airborne flight was a ticking time bomb at this time. And that uh, many, a uh, high percentage of repairs made to not only Boeing uh, Boeing flights, but lots of different planes. There's, there's metal shards, there's shrapnel, there's uh, bad repairs. There's all sorts of things that could potentially, despite the fact that there's nothing that should be able to carry a charge or a spark inside of a fuel tank, there are some wiring elements that, that uh, run nearby it. So there could be some electrical arcing. Uh, and sure enough, they presented a pretty clear case that and maybe at the time of the documentary, the NTSB guys 
weren't, they didn't know that all of some of this was happening because, you know, I, I feel like Boeing and other manufacturers, it wasn't out in the open that some of these potential problems existed. And they even discussed that a lot of the experiments that came during the investigation of this, of flight 800 determined a, a lot of issues. So the guys might not have even been aware of some of this stuff. So uh, I think you're being way too charitable to them. The documentary came out in like 2012. These like changes been made by like 2002. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, they're in the NTSB. I, 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 I have some questions about, I mean, if anything, I don't think that hey, they're you said like, earlier the investigation was, uh, you felt as though the investigation was, uh, they didn't, they didn't do anything nefariously. What do you mean? You, well, you said they invest, like, I, I feel like you're saying now that, that they're, if they knew what, what are they, why are they not speaking up about that? I think that the, no, I'm saying the, uh, the guys in the documentary, like right. the, the NTSB people who talk to the documentarian, I think that, uh. I don't think I think that they're like knowingly ignoring like they just got such tunnel vision on right. I've been uh you know disrespected in the course of this so this whole fucking thing honestly sucks and so I'm going to like be yeah I mean like yeah, listen, there's plenty fair. of times that like there's a conclusion that suits you so you can present the evidence of that conclusion and like they do that as convincingly as they can but like they're knowingly ignoring a lot of, and like not not in a way that like like they're not acknowledging it to themselves. You know what I mean? Sure. Like they're they're, they're like just trying to build a case here. Like they, they just need it to be this conclusion, so they're working backwards from that. And, right. You know they're not fucking uh you know acknowledging all this stuff about them because I mean they the people making the documentary uh i think are like so the the ntsb investigators talking to them i think that they've got motivated reasoning going on i think that the people making the documentary um i think that they're making some intentional choices about what to leave out like I, they must have read the yeah, report there's, there's a little bit of that because they, they put in the classic interview question where the apparently the one filmmaker asks the other fil filmmaker because it's a female voice asking the other guy yeah you know like why should we believe you and he gives the classic don't believe me. Yeah. I'm just asking for what, you know, I'm just asking for truth basically, which always is a kind of a telltale sign that you actually do have an agenda perhaps. Yeah. But so the, the whole, like the details of how we get a spark in the fuel tank, because you start from, um, I guess I was surprised to learn this, but, uh, if you got jet fuel and it's just like sitting on the ground in a barrel right now and you toss a match in, Apparently you're fine, right? Like it, uh, under certain conditions. Yeah, like I, I, you know, I. Not out, not out here. You don't think <laughs> it's so? It's pretty hot outside. Yeah, well, yeah. If it's That's hot what outside, you're getting yeah, at. yeah, yeah. But uh, I would have thought any time you toss a match into jet fuel, uh, you're dead. But like, I was surprised to learn that's not the case. Uh, so they're they're starting from, uh, you know, what would it take to get this jet fuel to blow up? And the big thing there is that the flight had been sitting on the ground for quite some time. And while it's sitting on the ground, the air conditioner is running. The air conditioner, a lot of like what it's doing is like, uh, you know, like a, I think it, even removing like, heat. Yeah. Well, but like, uh, like pulling air from like the engines, right? Right. 
uh, and then like taking the, the taking the heat out of that, and that's and it's it's next to that fuel tank, right? Uh, so the fuel inside is getting hotter and hotter because the air conditioner is running, and it's next to it. Um, and then the uh, altitude also plays a factor of like once you're up that high, um, the ignition point is lower. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, you which got this- was a surprise that they learned because the only experiment they had ever done on this was in the early 70s. Yes. And but even even that yeah, simple that- explanation they offer of like, uh, you know, changes of altitude mean changes of pressure. So that means that the mixture of oxygen and fuel is going to be different. That seems like a pretty basic physical principle that looked like an oversight to me. Yeah, but it's it's an important thing to understand about. Like whenever they're just trying to like paint the NTSB as uh, total fucking clowns in the documentary, it's important to understand like – you know, they they were trying to determine whether or not the jet fuel was uh, flammable at that point, um, and d- discovered that all we know about it is a single study in the seventies. So they just started from square one, right. like learning everything, <laughs> like just conducting their own experiments, their own studies. Like you know, the body of what we know about where jet fuel ignites comes from. All of the extra shit they did on this investigation. It's the most expensive NTSB investigation yeah. in history, which they mentioned in the documentary several times and derisively, like, you know, what a fucking waste of money to lie to me about whether or not there was a missile. <laughs> um, but like there was there was a lot of things where they're like, you know, science doesn't yet know how the jet fuel operates under these conditions. So we will, you know, like start from square one. And, and by the time we're done with this, science will know. We will find right. out. Uh, they like, they recreated it. They had another yeah. plane at JFK that they let run the air conditioner for two hours. And then uh, fucking, you know, like it was uh, almost like a, a year to the day later. Yeah. Uh, and then had to take off and just like, you know, tested what, you know, the fucking fuel was doing at that point. Didn't didn't put another spark in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, didn't blow up the plane, but they did blow up some other fucking planes. Yeah, they did uh, blow up some planes. Yeah, just they said see. it took two years to get <laughs> the process of that experiment took two years before they blew the plane up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, see what happens to the various beams and what they look like whenever, like, you know, you get an explosion started from here. So so they, they determined conclusively that uh, the, the jet fuel was uh, flammable at that point. That's what you were talking about, about the 30%. Like right. in, in 30% of flights you were getting these conditions for the jet fuel right um which like you know before that before this investigation people were just like eh, jet fuel's fine uh and then they learned that we've just been flying around with fucking bombs underneath the plane i assume they fixed it yeah 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 i remember the 90s being a lot of talk about uh fuel tanks you had the uh, ford explorer and you had the, do you remember the exploding the ford exploder for a while, the, no. the the positioning of their gas tanks were in an accident. It would be very easy for them to explode. It was just a it was just a hot time for fuel tanks. Yeah, no, they 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 talked about the whole history of uh, the FAA uh, responding to this sort of thing because the FAA, uh, you know, different board than the NTSB. Uh, so they're just like, yeah, you know, the NTSB thinks that this tank thing's a big deal. We're not so sure. We don't want to change the whole aviation industry as a result of it. So uh, we'll see what happens. And in uh, in Thailand in 2001, a plane blew up on the runway uh, under the same cir- set of sort of circumstances. But in that instance, so they, they had basically been saying as long as we don't put sparks in the tanks, it's just not that big a deal. 
Um, you know, I mean, like we've been flying planes around for a while. It's not like they just fall out of the sky and all sky all the goddamn time. It's because there's not that many sparks in the tanks. So just we just keep sparks out of the tanks. Who cares? In that one, uh, it was like that someone was trying to refuel, and um, the like uh, there's something wrong with the refueling thing. So there right. was just metal grinding on metal, right? And that that caused a spark and blew up the plane. And uh, so that that convinced them that the the strategy of saying that we just will prevent sparks from entering the tanks that there was just enough going on that like it's just hard to do that so it'd be better to pump inert gas into because it's it's the the gas and air mixture it's how much air is in the tank like the fact that these uh tanks were almost empty right uh was was a major factor in it because then there's enough air so that you can create this whole fucking thing um and so now they don't allow just you know regular air in the tanks like they they made i think it was like uh it was some i think it was like 2018 was like when the last uh, like, you know, center wing tank with air was. But we are now flying. That's good. We're past that. So that, that. there's no uh, center wing tanks with air in them. Um, Seems like a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's true enough. They're moving like, at uh, the speed of American bureaucracy. I, I think that if uh, thousands of people were dying every year from this problem, they probably would have addressed it differently. You know, like yeah. it's, it's not that common. It's, you're right. It's not that common. But, uh, but God damn, is it magnificently grotesque and massively insane when it does happen. Yeah. And like they're telling the story of like there's a guy whose fucking family relocated to Houston. And so he was handling the relocation stuff. And his fucking wife and two daughters are trying to take a trip to Paris. Like, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's always like a complete menagerie of all sorts of people on a flight. You know, it's where you get it. Insane that that guy's around to talk to the documentarians about it. Yeah. I don't know that I would be. Yeah. Yeah, some people are compelled to find answers at every corner or look or search for them at least. I'd look for what the answer is to what the afterlife looks like. Yeah. If I were that gentleman. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so, so there, then they establish, you know, that the, the tank is a problem. Uh, then it's like, all right, so what ignited it? And that's where the, the people are like, well, they don't have a piece of charred wiring. So they're fucking idiots. Um, the documentarians are saying that. And, uh, the actual, like the way that they, you know, hunted down, what are the possible issues, um, I found to be incredibly impressive. Like they, oh, they, they considered the the full range of any. Like the, you know, they were like, "What Team if a meteorite?" meteorite hit I the tank? was for a while. Um, I and, think I might still be. <laughs> uh, and they considered everything, and so the only wires that are in the tank are the wires from the fuel gauge system. So like they're, you know, to figure out how much fuel the is in there. The little thing floating on top. Yeah, then there's report. a floater and it's got a cord uh, and like, you know, it's all well insulated and everything. And the, the you know, they're, they're very focused on like how many joules of energy mm-hmm. it would take to ignite this and how that many joules ever could possibly travel along this particular wire. And it's nothing, nothing anywhere in that entire like fuel tank system uh, carries that much energy. And so it has to be that it went from another electrical system and it hopped over into the wire carrying the, uh, 
the fuel tank indicator. And then that is fully insulated, but they discovered another problem where like a silver nitrate builds up around the contacts. Yeah, I was and surprised so, myself for following along as well as I did. But, yeah, I, did, I, mean, but I did have to read it twice. The guy explains it very well. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, his his the thing he's trying to do of express uh, you know, accident reports in layman's terms was stunningly yeah, well done. Fantastic. He's good at what he does. Um, but yeah, so uh he he there's one place where there had been extensive repairs there had been water damage earlier and uh it looks like like sort of the area specifically where you'd be looking they never recovered that particular part of the wiring so like whatever you know that floated away could be a charred wire like in in you know good chance down there with the mermaids um, then the other one where I was like, okay, now the documentary people are really being misleading to yep. me is that there was a place in the plane where it was known to leak water. Uh, it's like probably, I don't know, fucking the ice melts in the, the, where they keep the drinks. Yeah. That's what something. they said. It was in the galley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so if, if the, if you've got the wire to the fuel tank system, and you've got the, the the system they were most suspicious of is the uh, the running lights, like the lights in the fucking cabin. Yeah. Um, and so there's a place where those two wires are traveling along the same thing. And if you just spilled water in there and the insulation on the wires was, uh, and that's why you mentioned the metal shavings, because, you know, whenever they're doing these repairs and the metal shavings get down there and then you're jostling in flight, it's eating away the, it's nicking up the insulation of the wires. So you've got two uninsulated wires with water between them. Well, then the electricity is just traveling in the water. You're not going to get like a a shorted out wire that's obviously burnt. Uh, You know, so like this, this entire thing could happen without the thing where the documentarians are like, well, if you don't have it, then I don't have to believe you. Uh, They don't have to have it. If they just, you know, if there was water between these two wires and then uh, the electricity that's transferring from the uh, lights goes to the fuel tank system, and then whenever it hits the fuel tank system, hits the silver nitrate that's built up around it, and then it enters Kaboom. the then the electricity's in the gasoline. Then we're done. Um, and so, you know, I mean, all that's like yeah, complicated enough and hard to follow. But I, I just to return to the question of like, you know, fucking uh, what kinds of evidence, like whenever you're comparing, like you've got this CIA video that could not be more suspicious. And you've got this fucking, uh, you know, like hundreds of people being like, I saw a missile. Sure. Uh, but then you weigh it against, like, you've got this beam that's blown up and you've got this clear understanding of how it could be that, like, the beam, like, a, a, a full explanation. Not to mention a recording of the captain pointing out yeah. the fuel gauge looking uh, abnormal. Yeah. It's one of the very last things that's said before there's no more uh, voice recording. Yeah, and then uh, after which, that... Which was a, proven to be in that it checked out to be what he saw as an anomaly could potentially have been the very thing in the very part of the plane that was uh, uh, breaking down. Yeah, if there was too much electricity going through the fuel system, then it would cause him to see what he said aloud that he did see yeah. on the voice recording. Um, and on the voice recording, there's a, a hum because around those wires of the fuel tank system and the running lights, 
um, is like the the wire for like his microphone. Uh, and so like on the recording, there is like, you know, it, it's all the things you would expect it to uh, expect to be there if what they said happened. happened. Right. Um, so basically like everything outside of the plane, you know, it, it, this is what I'm, this is the real, the, the important split, right? Of like everything outside the plane, in my view, says that a missile hit the plane, right? Like the people saw it, the CIA is acting super fucking sketchy. Like, you know, I'm looking for that fucking missile. But everything inside of the plane that's closer to the event, like you just can't argue with a steel beam that's been ripped apart in a certain direction, right. you know? Like that, like just if if a guy says like I saw a fucking missile hit a plane, but that plane has a, a beam that's like you know been torn apart by something from the inside rather than the outside, and we're not saying that it was melted, then like I know how Jeff you have Fuel. to fucking <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you know you just yeah, I know which one of those has to win, yeah, you know absolutely, yeah. It's probably just Janet Reno having a day <laughs> or something, just continuing to pillage throughout the 1990s like she did absolutely um yeah i feel like there was a couple other things i wanted to mention but i'm i'm uh not recalling them right now i wrote a lot of notes i haven't really been looking me at me too a lot um, of notes <laughs> yeah the the missile uh or the uh the recording the explode there is like a the beginning of an explosion on the recording and they did uh number that was uh what that was the, fascinating like they they were blowing up planes to see how they would sound on the recording yeah and, and, the, uh, and sure the, enough, the ones that have blown up sound a very particular way, uh, which uh, they have a high, a higher pitch crescendo. It just sounds terrifying. Oh, the uh, the other thing to compare alongside the CIA video in the documentary, there's an NBC News report that is some of the most manufacturing consent shit I've ever seen. It made me watch the uh, nightly news the next evening to. And through the lens of like, man, this is just written by the state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it was Robert Engel, man. Just fuck it. Yeah. Robert Engel saying everything that the government wanted him to say, exactly how he wanted to say it, like fully obfuscating, like very, like very much fucking don't look over here. Because the, what they're talking about there specifically, although, you know, to, I'll get to this when we get to it, but like uh, the documentary is doing their own version of this as they're talking about this particular incident, which really betrayed my trust. Yeah. Um, it so, hurt, man. <laughs> <laughs> the government, uh, as part of their like full, how exhaustive they were, is they conducted a study where they just put regular people at various distances from a missile launch pad and just shot off fucking missiles to see what it would look like if people were standing away a certain distance. Uh, and they also did a thing where uh, they would like tell the people 30 times that they were launching the missiles or they were like, all right, we're getting ready to launch. But like only five of those times would they actually launch them. And then they'd be like, did you see something? Yeah. And like, uh, it reminded were, me of when you get a dud firework yeah. and you're like, <laughs> yeah, your fingers in your ears and nothing happens. But some of the people but, yeah. in the, the non-launch ones, when they were like, did you see the launch? Yeah. They were like, yeah, I saw yeah, that Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. Um, so like, you know, uh, we all know like uh, eyewitness testimony has its flaws. God, I get sick of hearing that though, especially when, when, when I have a, when there's an official of the government telling me that eyewitness, you know, I believe that I believe it. And I know that 
eyewitnesses, uh, what they see is can be flawed, the psychology of that. But God, it's annoying to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I know what I saw, goddammit. But so... Uh, so the the finding is that I because where the government started from is they're doing this because they're like you can't even fucking see a missile, uh, like if it's shot from like this distance or whatever, and uh, all of the every time they shot a missile, every group reported they could see the missile. So like that's that's the finding <laughs> the documentary is is pointing to, and that's what the NBC report is talking about is this study. And the NBC report does not lead with, yeah, uh, or mention at any point <laughs> yeah. that it, what the government had said that you can't see the missile was conclusively proven to be false. Uh, and so, like, whenever you're watching this segment, it's just like, and even the the thing that I'm about to say about how the documentary is hiding it, it's not like the NBC segment was saying that. The NBC segment is just saying like weird ephemera bullshit, but like all like. None of its facts, all of its vibes, and all the vibes are to like say, all those crazies that are telling you there's missiles, don't listen to them. Like the first thing that appears on the screen is like conspiracy, right. yeah. <laughs> which is like, you know, uh, code for don't believe it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and just the, I don't know, dude, it's, it's an amazing document. Like never mind the fact that I don't think that a missile didn't hit this thing. Right. It doesn't mean that like NBC didn't know that when they're doing this. Absolutely. Uh, they were just carrying the government's water anyways. It's just, yeah, it's just great revelation as to the tools that they'll use if they want you to think a certain way. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, it's just revealing. But the major finding of the study is that after the initial, like a rocket burst to get the missile into the air. After that, you can't see it. Right. Like you see seven a, seconds, yeah. 10 seconds, something like that. You can see a missile in the air for about seven seconds. After that, it's like moving too fast. And there's just no fucking, uh, you know, there's no like streak behind it, you know, like it's already up in the air. It's just, you know, it's moved over to a different like uh, propulsion system. And so what it actually would have looked like if these people saw it was like, a streak like they described, but then the streak would go away and, you know, 10 seconds later, there'd be an explosion miles from where the streak disappeared, Right, which is not what anyone describes seeing. And so I don't know what they saw. I, I'm not uh, tremendously convinced by the CIA video. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what to think, but uh, at the point where they're proving that what they describe seeing is not how a missile strike would look, then I'm like, all right, you know, I, I, I think the case is closed. I think it is too. Maybe they were, maybe someone was just shooting something off at the same time that a plane crashed. Maybe. Yeah, see, that, <laughs> that's, I, I think that like we need to fucking be more open to, like, I think a lot of times whenever there's these unexplainable events like this, that something like, one in a million things happen one in a million times, you know? Right. One in 100 million chances, if you run it 100 million times, uh, and, and sometimes if you just run it once, there is a chance that that's what you're going to get. Uh, and, like, we're not prepared for those situations. And so we can, we can be left with a lot of, I mean, like, you know, whole fucking industry. People can make their living off of trying to explain this one incident where, like, something happened, uh, you know, fucking that was just very outside of what you would expect. And uh, I do think that's what happened with JFK. Uh, 
like the the like the whole magic bullet thing you know like that's that's just like a gesturing at like uh the, the, the i they're saying like the ballistics don't make sense to them by calling it a, a magic bullet, right? Right. Like, uh, you know, if they were just like the regular bullet that acted as we behaved, they yeah, wouldn't call yeah. it a magic bullet. Uh, they call it a magic bullet because it behaved drastically different than how they expect. And uh, I think, and there's a, there's a book, it's called Mortal Error. It's by a guy named Bonar Menninger. I've mentioned it on the podcast yep. before. Um, it's, uh, it's saying that, uh, Oswald's up in the book depository. He gets, uh, I think he gets two shots off and, uh, one of them misses. And so, uh, Oswald, uh, gets his shot off. And I think that, I think the one that hits is the one that hits, uh, Connolly. Connolly was hit, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, behind, uh, the motorcade, the next car, um just the fucking secret service guy who's holding his rifle is doing so fucking very dangerously he's got his finger on the trigger and whenever he hears a shot he jumps and in the act of jumping his fucking gun goes off and there's a lot of evidence from the time to indicate that this is the case uh and like you know it's almost like easier to say like i think the secret service was trying to kill jfk but like that's not what we're saying you know like it's like right you know in the course of like this weird like no one ex like you know presidents drive around a lot most of the time people don't shoot at him uh then like you do have this time that someone's trying to kill him but that person happens to fail and like the guy behind him just like you know i mean like in most of the yeah, time disasters are disastrous all yeah. sorts of things can happen yeah and yeah especially with humans and like if it's the kind of thing where like if it were an easy explanation there'd be no conspiracy around it you know right. like it would just be like well we all know what happened there uh but like whenever it's something like this where like you know weird shit's going on, like if it was just someone happened to fucking put off a firework you know that yeah. was like going up at the same time like you know, then it's it 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 has to like whenever it's an ex something like this that's so hard to explain, the explanation has to be something where the first time you hear it, you'd be like, "No fucking way!" Right? That's stupid. Uh, you know, like those are the only things left. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. And that explains an attempt to cover up too that it's something so uh, there's so much malfeasance involved with the Secret Service, you know accidentally assassinating the president that that begs for a cover-up as much as a an actual you know uh intended assassination yeah and i don't know you know like uh i wonder how many people ever knew you know what i mean like that guy probably felt the recoil but like even that is the kind of thing where like if it's me I would be telling myself over and over, <laughs> you didn't feel you it. You didn't. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Don't tell anyone. Right. Like, you know, whatever you thought you felt, it wasn't that. And it's a different time. Not as many cameras around. Probably yeah. not as much Only oversight. One. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, there's there's ways that that guy could have, you know. Yeah. I don't uh, want to say gotten away with it, but that, there's you know. there's some I I I gotta look it up, but I don't remember that. There's there's something from the time where someone was like briefly like, yeah, I don't know, he looked really weird, and then like came back and were like, no, he was fine. Like yeah, there's some kind of like someone in the second car. I oh here it is. I I think I might be thinking of something else too, but there was a thing where like. Uh, you know, everyone was asked, like, 
tell me every single thing you did around this time, right? And one of the guys in the car like looked over at the guy who I'm saying fired the shot and was like, you're holding your rifle weird there, buddy. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, George Bush didn't know how to answer that question. No, he certainly didn't. Mm-mm. Where were you on the day of JFK shooting? I don't know. I don't recall. God damn. I'm telling yeah. you, though. Uh, I, I've been telling it to you over and over, but uh, to the audience, uh, season two of Blowout about Cuba, episode nine has much, much more on this. Uh, you know, expect to hear more from me about it in the coming days and weeks. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, there's, there's a lot about George Bush and his associates. I'm learning about Korea at the exact same time. The yeah. same guys. Yeah. A lot of similar characters, man. It's an amazing world we live in. <laughs> I've become really enchanted. Like we, it. like we said earlier, man. If, if you, you know, like you feel like you're falling apart, or, or you know, am I taking crazy pills because I start going down these rabbit holes? But the ones I seem to be going down lately, it's they're actually kind of fact based. <laughs> it feels not, like that. Yeah. Not, or you know, it's not even conspiracies that are making me feel like I need to keep this stuff quiet that I'm learning about yeah no like some of the like a lot of the stuff in the uh blowback did i say blowback or i say blowout i always get (laughs) confused for obvious reasons blowout's always on my mind but yeah blowback is the podcast in case i said it wrong um like uh the stuff in there like it's yeah it's like i would like it better in some ways if these crazy things like left a little bit more room for like other possibility like i don't want to believe that george bush killed jf sure and I, that's not really where they fall down it's more complicated than that but like uh you know i like it's what would <laughs> i don't want to live in a world where the cia is fucking winking at me and putting the fucking yeah. guy on the operation in charge of the fucking country like I, I want some space here and like uh just some of these things you just learn about more facts like you're saying like not vibes facts uh and fucking it's uh it's tough when we overlook so many things that are like absolutely perilous and destructive that are just known things you know oh you want Maybe a good one slavery <laughs> you know like yeah the, yeah the actual foundations of of uh of human behavior uh you know in in collective collective uh action made by a government when we're told that we're the greatest of all time the cognitive dissonance can make you feel crazy whether or not you're going down a a rabbit hole or not yeah like dpd murdered a guy who was throwing a gun away from him so that they wouldn't murder him and they did it anyways and like we all just watched it happen it's on youtube right and like uh yeah like like you're like steve said like you gotta watch a fucking ad to see the cop shooting after that and then like uh we all just are supposed to go about you know like normal life and like the guy that that guy works with i see him every fucking day out here and like uh they're all they you know i'm just supposed to treat them like they're not the association associates of a guy who just fucking murdered someone and like is gonna face no consequences as a result like daily traumas man yeah like i how are we supposed to live in any of this yeah like we all do we all are doing this thing that i really don't think can be done but we're all doing it all the time uh yeah i don't know i I might be coming apart at the seams i don't know we're here on this couch yeah (laughs) 
Um, Jake's dipped. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, two hours of uh, popular mechanics we just gave you. Yeah, he couldn't keep staring at uh, <laughs> fucking you know whatever it is the the abyss that we're looking into. Uh, no, here's here's a fun one uh, of just like facts that are just facts. Uh, like you know this there's documents. No one. Like uh, Alex has introduced me to the idea of uh, like the – in a trial, they'll start with like the agreed upon facts where like both sides – you know, like each side has a version of the events and there are some similarities. And it's like you just start there. So this is in like the agreed upon facts. Uh, You know know the whole deal about, um, you know, Walt Disney – wanted to buy up all the land in Orlando to build Disney World. He f- thought that if he announced that he was building a big park there, whenever he bought up the first piece of land, that there would be a massive speculation rush where people were buying it so that they could sell it to him for higher prices. Right. And so he did it all through like, you know, corporate, like dummy corporations set up so that people wouldn't know it's Walt Disney buying it. They think it's just some random land transaction in Orlando. Basically, they needed to hide the money, you know, like they needed to have his money be doing things that the rest of the world didn't know his money was doing. It's OG shell games. Yeah. And so, uh, do you know the two guys that were in charge of doing all of that? That they're just, their names are on the documents. They are the guys. I don't believe I do. It's the two fucking like uh, most OG CIA spooks that like were responsible for doing that sort of money moving around without people knowing it for the CIA. There you have it. That's their job. And how, might I ask, did Walt Disney fucking know them? Yeah. (laughs) Like, do you think that everyone just like, like if you call up the CIA and say like, hey, I got a business thing. Can I I borrow fucking Wild Bill Donovan for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, They're just like, oh, yeah, you know, I mean, you you run a big corporation. We could do that. Uh, I don't know, dude. Like, the, the, like that's an agreed upon fact. You go where you're going to go with it from there. But like, where else can you go with it? Like, I'd, I'd go to Cap Cities. Is where I'd go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, go the, right uh, up yeah. the road to Bill Casey. Yeah, yeah. The the <laughs> fucking the you know. We're, connect, we're connecting red string over here, you guys. If you can't see us, because <laughs> eventually ABC does Disney does buy ABC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know, man. Wouldn't it be a thing? <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I appreciate your time. I'm going. Oh, I'm going to go back down into my shelter now. <laughs> I uh, I did have a note written down that I don't know what it means, but it was I think for this podcast to get you to say more about something. It just says misfits thing. Does that mean anything? To you? Oh, tremendous! Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Without naming names, recently. Um, it's sort of been announced that the there uh, there appeared on social media to be the Misfits logo, and um, in, in the background the Dallas skyline, and that sort of erupted a lot of chatter online about you know punk rock music fans getting pretty excited that apparently the Misfits are going to play a show in Dallas. That is and, exciting, and that d- that does right. It does seem exciting and mystical, and 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 uh, you know just something that's rare and doesn't happen very often. But uh, I am privy to the fact that last October I saw the Misfits in Sacramento and it was the worst 40 minutes of live music I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) 
<laughs> so really? I'm seeing people I love and respect yeah. like all over social media. There's been some graffiti outside of record stores with the Mitzvitz logo. There's been music journalists kind of all a buzz about what's coming. And I'm just like, I'm just living for the fact. <laughs> and then there's, you know that there's going to be some reporting after the show, no matter if it's, if I saw an off night or if truly they are, which this is the case, one of the worst performing bands in music, which is not a stretch. They never were that tight or great live to begin with historically, but you just know that there's going to be plenty of people reporting that it was the greatest show they've ever seen, no matter no matter how it really goes down. Mm. But I know I kind of saw it in a vacuum, away from the excitement, uh, a pedestrian fan, but a fan no less. And I was kind of excited for it. And it was terrible. Yeah. And but don't you, take my word for you know, it. You know, we'll be honest about it. We just slayed Garth's sound for a while. You, we just slayed the sound, but not the show. But this Certainly is, not the show. This is going to be the shit coming out of the amps, not out of the speakers hanging in the arena. Yeah. I tell yeah. you that much. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. Anytime you need me to come on and uh, really break down physics and chemistry. <laughs> yeah. That's your expertise. It is. All right. Cool. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next, so until tomorrow. For everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.